Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and I am your host, Rob Watson. We have another great show lined up, and I think a really unique show. Um, if you're a regular listener, you know we talk to a lot of really creative people. We've talked to artists. We've talked to writers. We've talked to screenwriters. We've talked to documentary makers. We've talked to filmmakers. We've talked to musical artists. We've talked to singer-songwriters, the singers, the songwriters separately. Um, you know, we've talked across the board with with all sorts of super super creative people today we have something special because we have never ever talked to a casting director before and i am obsessed and fascinated with um that function within the creative process um we've seen casting directors depicted in countless tv shows and movies and anything that is you know, about movie making or about filmmaking behind the scenes has, you know, the casting director is always one of the big parts in it and they're running around and, and they're, they're always the center of attention of the, the actors who want to be cast and all that. Um, but when it comes to real life and movies coming out, um, we never get to talk to them. Um, well, today we have one of the best. Uh, Matthew LaSalle is, is a casting director, um, and among other things in his genre is that he has been president of the Casting Society of America for two terms. So not only is a casting director, he is a leader among casting directors. But another youth in Canada uh, with their uh, television and um, screen guild um, and their their um, version of the Oscars, they actually have a category for um, casting directors. Which um, hello America, catch up, you know, and BAFTAs, you guys should too, because um, it's an important function within. Nothing would get made without um, the casting director. Um, well, not only do they have that category, but Matthew is nominated for that award for a film we'll be talking about, The Swearing Jar. Um, so can't wait to talk to him, hear everything that, uh, all the secrets behind the scenes um, that we need to know about casting directors. Um, so if you're a wannabe actor, this is a show for you, I hope. Maybe, maybe we'll get some tips for you. Um, before that, though, I'm going to bring on Brody Levesque as um, our regular listeners know Brody is the executive director or sorry, sorry I've got to switch from film to journalism. He is the executive editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine. Um, and that is a magazine you should be reading every day. Uh, it is getting the top award from GLAAD for excellence in journalism. Um, and you can find that at losangelesblade.com. Brody, uh, this morning was on a press conference regarding uh, some heinous, heinous stuff going on 
locally in California here in Huntington Beach, where Huntington Beach is being uncooperative and wants to outlaw ADUs or lower income housing, which the state um, is not allowing them to do, and they are going to get sued over it. Um, Brody was on the press call with the attorney general of the state, asked a question about whether racism or LGBTQ, anti-LGBTQ bias um, had any influence on Huntington Beach's policies, especially given their most recent um, decision and vote to take down the pride flag. And um, to Brody's surprise, who spoke up to answer that question but the governor himself? And here is what the governor said. What a disgrace to take down the pride flag. What a deep pride that that flag is flown all across the state, nation, around the globe. Um, what a disgrace. What a moment we're living in, where so much of the 21st century is being wiped out in real time, even in our own backyard. And I think humbled and mindful it's happening here in California, it happened in Huntington Beach jaw-dropping what they did um, and uh, you know whether it's legal or not it's wrong and it's shameful and the attacks the assaults on the LGBTQ community are wrong they're shameful and we have an obligation to step up call them out call out the City Council call out that action disgraceful insulting uh, we're better than that uh, this state stands firmly uh, behind the LGBTQ community and we'll continue to fight against homophobia and this kind of discrimination and just rank, rank performative politics. Thank you, Governor. And that was Brody Lex thanking the governor for answering his question. And uh, now to answer all of our questions, the co-host of the show, Brody Levesque. Welcome to the show, Brody. Hey, good afternoon, Rob. Yeah, I was caught a little off guard. I was expecting an answer on housing. And as you heard from Governor Newsom, <laughs> no, he wanted to talk about something else that that city council did. And in, in full honesty, um, it, it was gratifying that the governor did weigh in on it. Governor Newsom has been uh, a longtime ally uh, of the LGBTQ community. Uh, and ironically enough, on the very day that we're doing this press conference about the nonsense going on in Huntington Beach, uh, Minnesota Governor Tim Walz, who's another uh, strong advocate and ally for our community, signed an executive order today in St. Paul that is a comprehensive order that safeguards transgender individuals, their families, and providers from out-of-state prosecution. And essentially, that also includes any trans kids uh, or families of trans kids who have fled, say, Florida, for example, uh, and are basically seeking sanctuary in Minnesota. Last year, last fall, uh, my friend and who's been a guest on this show, uh, California State Senator Scott Weiner, uh, sponsored similar legislation that went through the California legislature uh, itself and was uh, passed, and Governor Newsom actually signed it into law. California has a law that basically makes the state a sanctuary state. And again, this is in direct response 
to what we're seeing uh, taking place in Florida, uh, where they just proposed a law this last week that would have, and there's an actual provisio built into this law, and, and I'll, I'll explain this for our listeners. This one's pretty bad. If mom and dad are divorced and the trans child, let's say, lives with dad in, oh, I don't know, California. Mom lives in Tampa Bay in Florida. Let's say that the trans kid, minor, comes to visit mom. State gets wind of it. Under this law, the state of Florida will seize that kid, put them into foster care. The parents will have no ability to get the child back. And then it gets worse because of what Florida is doing in terms of trans youth health care. That child will now be forcibly detransitioned. So what... Governor Newsom signed what Governor Walsh today signed in terms of the executive order is in direct response to these laws, including Florida Bill 254, which was authored by Senator Clay Yarborough from Jacksonville. So if you guys uh, want to have any discussions, uh, he has a Jacksonville office and he has a office in Tallahassee in the state capitol. And Senator Yarborough, I'm sure, would like to get your input uh, because he's the author of that onerous law. Um, so that's so, Brody. Uh, you I know, I, I want to ask. Yeah, go ahead. Brody, let me ask a question on that. Yeah. So, because um, if if the parents are divorced and this child comes back, it isn't even that the parent receiving them back has to like raise a flag over it. Like if there's contention over the child's transition, regardless of the parents, either parent's position, the state still would come in and take the child? Correct. Child Protective Services would take the child. Uh, This is like fascism. This is fascism. It's just, it is such insane level. Need I point out that last weekend, Governor DeSantis was at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, to hawk his book before an audience of about 2,000 invited guests uh, in the auditorium, which also houses one of the former presidential aircraft. And prior to the governor's visit, someone, according to the Simi Valley Police, and I've got a picture on the Los Angeles Blades website in the local news section. You can go take a look at it. Uh, On the very, very fancy, polished granite sign that, announces it's the Ronald Reagan, you know, Presidential Library Museum and Conference Center. Somebody painted in black graffiti, you know, big, huge letters, Ron de Fascist. To your point, I think people are right. starting to pick up on that. It is fascism, and it is really pretty bad. But I think that, you know, when we have responsiveness by some public officials, like Governor Newsom, like Governor Walsh, um, you know, it's critically important because especially for um, LGBTQ youth right now, um, another friend of the show, Landon Ritchie, uh, who's a trans college sophomore, I think, this year at the University of Houston downtown, is right now, as we speak, at the Texas State Capitol in Austin with uh, three coalitions and uh, Equality Texas, and that's Mr. Ramirez, who's also been on the show, uh, and they are protesting currently similar legislation that now Texas is proposing in terms of expanding 
you know, its attack on trans kids, um, which is just onerous. And then just yesterday, I just there's a pile on, it's like a tsunami. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders of Arkansas, and of course we all remember her from the Trump White House, signed right. Arkansas's Learns Act into law. Okay, this law, it's 145, it's 145 pages, essentially combines don't say gay with don't talk about critical race and don't talk about gender identity all wrapped into one. And this act, okay, actually claims, you're going to love this, this act is claiming that the so-called critical race theory, which I will repeat for the umpteenth thousandth millionth time, is not taught at the secondary level in years 9 through years 12 in any place in the United States. It's a college course, which, oh, by the way, is an elective. But anyway, this act claims that that CRT conflicts directly with the Civil Rights Act of 1964. To tenuously make the, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's evil. So that was mm. yesterday's action by our favorite governor in Arkansas, and then just one state north of Missouri, this one's even better. Uh, there's a Republican lawmaker there, and she's trying to pass a similar version of Don't Say Gay in Missouri. But she was challenged when she was testifying before the Senate committee by an openly gay Senate Republican senator. I believe he's from the St. Louis area. The exchange between him and her was priceless. Because one of the things that he asked her was, okay, so under the terms of your legislation in terms of talking about sexual orientation, he asked her, and this is a, I, I'm paraphrasing, he asked her if she knew who Martha Washington was. And she, of course, naturally, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, under the terms of your bill, a teacher wouldn't be able to talk about George Washington's wife because of the sexual orientation. And the, the immediate try to backpedal by her was beautiful but what followed next by the gay republican just killed me he's like wait a minute this is kind of one of those moments where you're saying you just want to outlaw certain sexual orientations which of course just left her speechless that bill by the way looks like it's going to pass okay so you know this is the pile on and and this is what we're facing um and and in kind of a homage nod to the film's title that we're, you are going to be discussing with our guests, The Swearing Jar, from what has been coming out of my mouth for the last 48 hours would fill up about six of those things. It's really that me, bad. I would, I, would, I would love to just live on an income based on the Brody Levesque swearing jar in general. Let's just <laughs> let's put that right out there. You know, that would subsidize a lot. Anyway, but not that you're not justified given everything that you have to uh, read through and report on every day. Um, I think uh, Governor Newsom was alluding specifically to that in his comment to you about how mm-hmm. we things are being so dialed back. I mean, I understand that uh, there was a bill in Tennessee that is uh, anti, um, not only same-sex marriage, but interracial marriage um, that that they're trying to pass. And um, Huckabee Sanders signed a bill um, or um, overturning 
child labor laws. And, you know, it's, it's like, and then there's another bill, I can't even remember which state, that is trying to outlaw all drag performances, not just libraries. I mean, it's like oh, that's that's they have that's the one that Governor Lee signed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they have lost the plot. They are. Yeah. I mean, the the rabid Republican wing that is going absolutely nuts across the board here um, is insane. Um, you know, the, the remedy to this is is fairly apparent. We need to have the Democrats take the Capitol, take the House, take the Senate, take the presidency, and put in federal protections across the board um, when they get into power like that. I mean, because God knows what's going on in the House with the Republicans right now in handing off, you know, hours of footage to Tucker Carlson so he can lie about it on the air. Um, You know, there's not that the Republicans were ever doing good things, but they are doing insane things. It is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So, any much. other stories, Brody? <laughs> Anything else um, going on? Yeah, no, I mean, we, we, I would just as soon hear what, you know, our, our casting director is doing because at least he's living in a world where, you know, he doesn't have to put up with what I do put up with. Although I'm fairly convinced since I've got a few friends who are casting people, uh, including uh, Max, who you know, who's been on the show before, and he worked for a casting company, a little tiny one up in Portland, uh, Oregon, Vancouver. They do a lot of Netflix and, you know, the, the streaming company casting. I, I'm sure their quota for swear jars is probably right up there with mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would never assume that anybody is in a place where they don't have to deal with this stuff. So, But uh, anyway, we, we will find out. So um, with that, um, thank you, Brody, for, for that news. Um, I do want to welcome onto the show uh, Matthew LaSalle, um, Casting Director Extraordinaire. Matthew, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, our, our pleasure. So, um, yeah, we're trying <laughs> that to was a lot. years from the... <laughs> yeah, the, I know. I'm the, just, like, absorbing everything, and I was on the website, and I'm like, ah, oh, Yeah. We do have a swearing yeah, jar, yeah, by the it, way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all need one <laughs> daily. So, so I wanted to take you back because I, I really, I really find what what you do, uh, first of all, obviously very important because um, it's it is it is fascinating for me to look back on different stories about films that had alternate casts. Um, actually being thought about and um, finding out who could have played this part or that part and realizing, oh, my God, that piece would have been totally ruined with the wrong people um, in the cast. What you, you went to college and you actually intended to, I mean, you didn't go specifically for casting, but what pulled you in that direction? Um, I think being in an uh, acting conservatory and watching other amazing actors work. And I was just talking about this today. Like there, there was an exercise in drama school where you would do a Shakespeare monologue and you'd all sit in a circle and everybody was paired off and doing the same sort of monologues or you'd have the same monologue and you would watch someone do one and then you would do one. And I would, and I think I, 
I recognize my my sort of desire to not perform after being <laughs> after being in drama school because I could see how great and how wonderful some of those actors were and I was like I don't know if I'm that person. I mean, I tried it for 5 years and I did work, but you do get a sense of of who excels as an actor versus what what you're doing as an actor and um and I just fell into casting because my a friend of mine from drama school was working for a casting director and said, you know, I think you might really enjoy this. And I did, and I sort of never looked back. And uh, no, it's, yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. What? Uh, so I can relate to that because you know I went to UCLA in theater, and acting was you know my north star at the time um, in in the LA area, and went through that and sat in hallways with auditions and the whole bit. Um, one of the things when I went to theater school that I wish they had taught because they didn't teach anything about this, one was how to market yourself as an actor. Um, and the second one was the real thought process behind casting. What would you say to new actors, young actors, any actors, that are auditioning, what should they know about the casting process, either to make them feel better or to help them be more successful? There's, this is one of the biggest things that we talk about with new actors, and I go to, um, I talk with certain schools and conservatories every year. Um, so it is happening within the drama schools that they are starting to focus more on um, marketing and what casting actually does. But I do think that what actors need to do what if they go if they do indeed go to drama school or any sort of uh acting program or classes or whatever they do is focus on um fo- they have to focus on um it's hard to say like I always say focus on the work, but what I mean is like focus on your relationships with the people that you're kind of growing up in the business with, you know, and foster those relationships by being creative and creating your own material is super, super important. Um, not just, not just being a one note pony. Like I'm only going to focus on getting auditions. There's, there's other ways to, um, skin a cat, you know, and there's other ways to get a job. And it's not always just about getting an agent or getting a manager who's going to miraculously get you a job. It's a, there's a lot of, uh, approaches to working as a professional actor that can get an, uh, that can get you noticed. Um, whether it's being in regional theater, you know, off Broadway, off, off Broadway, or, or in a small theater in LA and getting a good notice, people, casting directors are always looking for talent. And especially with the interwebs now, you know, you, you basically can do anything. And the marketing side of it is about having a home base for you online where we can find you. All your information. We tell actors all the time, all your information needs to be constantly up to date, constantly revised, constantly looked at. Your your reels have to, you know, if you have reels, if you have your resume, if you have your photos, everything needs to be constantly updated and monitored. And so that, and 
have a way for us to find you easily because there's going to be a day where we need to find you and we can't find you. Um, and so there's many different uh, talk about this, but, you know, um, basically actors need to know how the process works, where to find, where to put themselves in that process. So, like, if you're, if you're wanting to audition for a film, the majority of film breakdowns go out on a on one or two of the major breakdown services out there, you know, or, or three or four. There's about it depends what country you're in as well. And we're in a global right. market now, so because we're in that global market, your actors are competing worldwide with everybody else, even on a small film. You know, like a small film in L.A. that's like a million dollar budget is not just looking at actors from L.A. anymore. You know, they're looking at everybody that could potentially be in it that could boost the visibility of that project, you know, whether they want it to be at a major film festival or even a small festival or give it some sort of cachet or, you know, we're always thinking like that as casting directors. So the actors have to realize that they are no longer in an insular world. They are competing globally. I don't know if that helps right. them or makes them feel better, but that's just the reality, the reality of what's going on. Well, well, if they're if they're not in LA, it probably makes them feel better. If they are in LA, it's like, oh crap, I have a lot. Well, more I think the good. Well, and to your point, the good news is, is you don't have to be in LA anymore. So you don't even have right. to be in New York or Toronto or Vancouver or London or you know or you know or Sydney. You are, you know, it helps. I'm not going to say it's not, you know. I mean, if I was a young actor, I'd want to move to a major city that has um, actors in it, like a concentration of actors, just to sort of experience it and and see what that's like and make those connections. But you don't have to be anymore. There are other markets. Atlanta is as big a market as a, you know as any of the markets in the United States. I mean, there's ton, you know tons and tons of actors who are out there constantly auditioning and working, who are based in Atlanta or New Orleans, you know, or Washington D.C. as a you know or Chicago, so it's it is it's all possible, and it's and because of yeah. COVID and because everybody you know so many people moved out, including casting directors, <laughs> that you know we are in that world now. No, that 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 is wonderful. In fact, even local theater, I know of different local theater groups who have cast people because they got a video of the person, and it was all done online even though the performance was actually going to be done in person and on stage. So it's, yeah, it's, I mean, that is, it is a great opportunity. I think one of the things too was, I know when I was auditioning, we, we had this mindset of like, if I'm the best, you know, it's like, I need to be the best me. And, you know, it was focused only on our own individual talents without realizing that in order for a casting director to make decisions, it had to be a tapestry of how individuals look within the whole group. The whole group, the whole cast had to make sense together. Well, to me, how it makes sense because you want to have the, you want to have the, the it's, it's about tone and it's about, it's about the vision of the director and the writer and the producer. That's what we're servicing, essentially. And we're kind of all working, you know, with a very strong director, you're working towards me. You know, essentially, it's a it's an art piece. You know, it's art. It's in, on on a certain level. So you are on a big level. So you're trying to service that vision, service the, the themes of the of the film by 
figuring out like who is going to have that nuance as an actor to bring subtlety, subtle moments to the piece. It's a very, um, these are things I think about, you know, I don't know that the director or the writer are always thinking about that, but I think as a casting person, you're, you're looking for the, for the actors when they come together on set to create magic, to go above and beyond what the script says. You know, I always know that I've succeeded in casting if I go and watch a film and it's nothing like I've sort of pictured in my head. It sort of goes outside of that box and it's even more brilliant than what I was reading, you know, with the, with the initial pass of the first read of the script. You know, if I, yeah, if that, I watch that, a film and I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I thought it would be like, then I don't think it's any good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's that's something, true. you know. That's, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like somebody in the process did not elevate their piece of it, you know, if it if it doesn't come off the page like that. I think, I think that's an absolute point in point. Yeah, it's like it, it, it needs to do that. Um, there was a recent article about um, Julia Roberts, uh, who is uh, supposed to be uh, the lead for Shakespeare in Love, and um, she went to, I think it was London, and they had a whole bunch of people reading for her and she just ducked out of the film because the chemistry never came about with the potential co-stars. Have you ever had that happen where you were locked in with somebody and you just couldn't get the picture around them right in the cast? Um, without going into detail, probably more, I mean, it usually happens, honestly, after you've cast it, like, because a lot of times you think, you know, you know, with the best intentions, everybody's in an audition and they're doing their best. It's like they're, they all put on their pretty clothes and they're all doing their, they're all on their best behavior and everybody's, you know, happy, fluffy bunny all the time. And then when you get into the nitty gritty of having to be on set at five in the morning and actually having to do the work and connect with the actor with very little, usually with very little rehearsal time and you're just supposed to be on. If there's, um, there have been instances where actors just haven't gotten along and that's, uh, you know, someone like me can step into that and like have a conversation with the actors because I'm usually person at that moment who's closest to the actors as far as their journey to that point but oftentimes it's the producer that has to smooth things over and and also figure out like why isn't it working the way it worked at the audition like why isn't it right. um, you know why isn't that magic happening that we saw at the audition it's harder now I think because so much of it is online that you know with in my experience, having worked in a studio like a couple of years ago before COVID, when we were literally putting people's taped auditions side by side, not in the same room, but that was how we were doing checking chemistry. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like we just basically split film and are having it, you know, and are looking at two people not interacting with each other and deciding that 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 they have chemistry. And, and I will say like a pilot or two fell apart because of that, you know? So, Ugh. um, again, it's with best intentions. You think you're doing the right thing and, and it's, and, and, you're, and you learn that that's not, 
that's probably not the best way to do it. Like you still, right. it's still about two souls connecting no matter what, you know? And so the souls have to kind of, they have, I know it sounds hippy dippy, but the soul, you do have to connect. There is a connection that makes it, um, and it doesn't matter. It's across genre. It can be drama, comedy, whatever, horror. Like there just has to be something there that is special and elevates it. Yeah, and I think we've all seen it. I mean, we've experienced it because when it works, it works. And it's hard to put your finger on why it's working, but it it is working. Uh, I want to pivot to your latest success, um, um, The Swearing Jar, which we've already alluded to uh, a number of times. Now, this this production it was, I mean, obviously it's a Canadian production, but it's unique in, in a way that the – um, I believe the the writer, the direct, um, the producer, you know, all these key people involved were all women, which is like wonderful. What right, and my casting partner in that Toronto, uh, Nicole Hilliard Ford, is also um, identifies as a woman. So there you go. Was was there? What did you? I mean, in theory, there should be no difference, but did you detect a different spirit around the film? Um, yeah, it's 100%. I energy know. is totally different. Well, I mean, the thing is, it's like, yeah. well, I, I mean, here's the thing. It's just, the, it's not better or worse, you know, it's just different. And it, and it, and it, um, without, Again, it's just a different way of working when everybody, you know, sometimes there's good good parts about it and sometimes there's not so great parts about it, but it's just um in this instance we had a female driven film. So, you know, the lead two very strong female leads and the creator of the project it, you know that's where the energy of it is. So you so mm-hmm. To have Nicole there with me casting it was super important because I, I'm a guy, you know. Like, you know, I mean, I, so it's, it is just you want to acknowledge your differences, but you also want to make sure that you have the, the like a, a point of view on it that someone is paying attention to, and um, and that goes across a lot of things. Like, I think we're discovering that culturally that when we're creating um, stories, especially stories that in you know in film and theater that the point of view of the people who are behind the camera is super important not just who's casting it but who the camera operator is all the way to, you know to the gaffer to who's working on the set like it all that energy is really important and um it's hard to explain why it is because you have to feel it and see it and be in it right. to notice the difference but I can promise you I noticed the difference, and it was a very positive experience for me. And, uh, you know, and a lot of my career have been with very strong women directors and producers, and I've appreciated that. And I, I've appreciated that because it's, um, it's just a nice, it, it's worked for me. So maybe I, just, right. maybe I gravitate in that direction a lot. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think, I think for us being gay men, we – certainly are in touch with our feminine sides of our psyche. Right. And so, I mean, you know, yeah. that's, the, you know, down to the, the will and grace 
thing and all that. I mean, it's yeah. Like, it's, no, I, it, I, I, I definitely it, think it's yeah. true and a hundred percent true. And, um, but having grown up in a family where I was the only, um, gay member of my family, you know, I'm used to having all different, you know, the, the hetero, you know, heteronormative energy around me all the time. So I get, so I'm okay with all of it, you know, but it's, nice to be in an environment where you're working with, you know, LGBTQ producers, directors, writers, people who identify cross-culturally, like all of that is really exciting and important because when you're making decisions, you're not just, it's, it's not just coming from one point of view. It's people stop the decision-making and say, Hey, would this character do this? Like, are you, are we really sure? But especially when you're casting and you're saying, hey, maybe I don't want to cast this character as a white person. I want to cast this character as a different ethnicity. What does that do to the piece? You're not just mm-hmm. slotting in somebody for, for that purpose. Like, you know, if you want the character to be queer, there has to be, you know, now we're super aware that there has to be a reason behind it. And there has to be writing right. to support it. And there has, you know, and... I think that's amazing that that's those are the conversations we're actually having now, you know. And you may not yeah. know, you know, and I I don't know that everybody knows that, but in my experience, that's what's happening, and I love that. No, that and I was going to ask you about that. Um, what because that is kind of under the spotlight, pardon the expression. Um, now is that factor in casting and authenticity in casting, where you know more and more people are scrutinizing who is playing the role and whether they're, you know, and, and I mean, there's some debate about it because, you know, it, it is acting. They are acting like somebody they're not, but, you know, where do the lines cross now between, you know, um, you know, inappropriate casting with straight people playing gay, um, cisgender people playing transgender and, and then in reverse, because I think a lot of, transgender talent to me i don't see them as quote unquote transgender i see them as gender i mean i see them as their 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 intended gender how are you right. i think it's, with this is like a very uh nuanced conversation on a lot of levels but it's very um it's very important when you're um casting to be able to express why a character is the way the character is. And so if you're if you if you've written a piece that is all sort of monolith, you know, you know, and and when you look at the swearing jar, it is it is a white cast. Like and that isn't doesn't hasn't gone unnoticed by the casting directors. You know, but we mm-hmm. but we had many many conversations about how to cast this film and how to and how to um and 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 how we would uh, and where we would put um, diversity into it, and where it made sense, and where, and not just make sense—that's not the right term—but like why we were doing it, and and so we did have different actors um, considered for roles that were not the ones that are finally in the film. You know, I don't want to get too much into that, but that, but it was a track that we were on, and then some of those actors became unavailable. <laughs> so then we, and then you're, and then you're limited under a certain time constraint for getting the film actually going. So, um, and actors fall out and then you have to find other actors that make the film go. So not everything always works out. It worked out the way we wanted it to work out because the film is a lovely, a beautiful film, I think, but 
it wasn't always what you what you finally saw wasn't always what was being discussed to be on screen and um, that yeah that part of it I, I find absolutely fascinating in your creative process but at the same time i feel for you very deeply and want to send you like a ton of roll aids because uh, <laughs> i mean that must be so stressful it's like when you get to that point like oh I, but they're not available. It's like, oh, crap. Well, it's very stressful. It's like, now we have to unravel it. Yeah. Yes, and it's very stressful, especially when you work on – I work on Canadian co-productions all the time, and there's a lot of rules that Canada has. So it's not like you're just – I can't just cast anybody. Like, oftentimes it's you're allowed one or two non-Canadians in the film, whatever's allowed, whatever actor is allowing for that piece of the puzzle, which then limits – Exact, you know, you're just you just become limited as to what you can see just by virtue of okay, for these two roles we can only do this. So, and if those are the two big starring roles, then you're limited to like who those actors are and are they all available? And then, and then if you can't get them, then what do you do? So yes, there's a lot of role aids, right. and then there's a lot of, you know, our lead act. The lead actress in this, Adelaide Clemens, is the most wonderful actress. I mean, she's done so many great things, and I can't speak highly of her enough because I've loved her ever since I saw her in one of her first films that she did out of Australia, and I was desperate to like cast her in something. And um, but she wasn't the original uh, cast member person for the part that there was another actress who was attached to it for three years who was making the film actually go. And then that actress fell out because she had a television commitment as a series regular. And we, and so when that happened, there was a mourning period for the production, for the producers and the directors to get their head around what they were going to do. And what they were going to do was nothing for a long time. And so Nicole and I were on the phone a lot with each other going, we can't let this movie die. We need to find the actor that's going to say yes and going to make the film go. And with the permission of the producer, I reached out to Kathleen Turner, and that was what made it go in the sense of she responded within a week, and it was like, okay, all systems back on again. You know, so that... You know, this is just like one story in casting out of hundreds of thousands similar stories for films and and, probably, and television. I don't really work in television, but for film that getting a film together is like, it's like a huge jigsaw puzzle of uh, getting right place, right time and dealing with a lot of emotion. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating because it is, it is, it's like the, you know, the, to get the name in the cast that is attached to the project that is going to get the funding, is going to get the momentum going, and then pulling the rest of the cast together. And, and just looking at this film where, you know, um, you know uh, Adelaide's part and Kathleen's part were two different parts. So, yeah, right. but each one, when, when you had somebody in, in that place, you know, that, that drove it. Um, I know Kathleen Turner, you know, she's talked about how her attraction to this part was, number one, she loved the script and how well written it was. And the character spoke to her directly, and she only does quality pieces that speak to her that way. And the fact that it was a woman-driven production, and she was very, very attracted to that. Um, what, what, 
what brought her to mind to you first to go after her? Um, well, first of all, I'm a huge fan, and I probably put her on every single list that I've ever written. Like <laughs> for the past 25 years that I've been casting, she's always been somebody that I've always wanted to work with. So when I read it, so when you read a script, you just like when you read a book, you you know you hear the voices of the character in a certain way, and I couldn't get Kathleen's voice out of my head. You know, her deep sort of scratchiness that she has, and the, and I just knew that she would bring that that look, that subtlety, that subtle look, not like her physical look, but like the way she interacts right. with other actors. I knew that she would just nail the. It's a. It's. It's the comedy within the tragedy. She would be able to nail that, and I just you just know that over time. Like that's why, and she was the first one. So like to be able to say, okay, this is the first person who was uh, who I who Nicole and I thought of said yes within a week. That means we're onto something, and that means that the piece is good enough to get quality actors into this film, and to get some of right. her into the film really allowed us to have that conversation with the talent community, the agents and managers, and, and elevate that conversation to like trying to figure out, okay, who who's available and who makes sense for what we're trying to accomplish. Because there's, you know, when you're casting, it's also about the budget. This is a very low budget film. So not, it's not like everybody's available to you to do it. <laughs> you know, like you're not, right. it's just, that's just the reality of it. So you're, and then, and then when you're limited to like what nationality the actors can be just on a technical level, that also limits it because there's only so many, you know, quote unquote, A-list names in Canada or, you know, or, and the A-list names in the United States are very particular and are working and are always working. So you're kind of, navigating that to find to figure out who's going to be able to bounce off of Kathleen Turner and have that sort of vibe and then when when it and it, and Patrick J Adams just becomes the person because you know when you look at his body of work when you look at suits like that's he you could just imagine him having that sort of um, relationship with his mother. Like you can imagine that relationship right. based on, you know, watching years of suits. Like that's how I thought of it. <laughs> you know, it's not, oh, okay. that, it, yeah, it's not yeah. really rocket science. It's just like, it's, it's literally like how much, you know, I watch a lot of television. I watch a lot of film and you just kind of look at the actor's body of work and you just kind of go, okay, I hope this works because you're not auditioning, you know? Yeah, I could see him also the reflection of his part from um, uh, a league of their own. Um, you know that that husband role um, in each of those sort of reflected. Um, right. Was how how did you balance figuring out? You know that he. I mean, this is kind of fascinating with this film and not giving anything away because there is kind of a twist. No, no spoiler alert. But um, um, you know, between Adelaide, um, Patrick, and then Douglas, where she has essentially two love interests. I mean, there's you, you're dealing with two different sets of quote unquote chemistry that you've right. got to achieve between those actors. How did you balance that and test for that? Um, we did. We did have. We were able to read. 
uh, Douglas and Adelaide. And so we were able to see a reading. But I think, again, knowing, as a casting director, knowing Douglas's work, you, and knowing, without giving the script away, the story away, there's like a bifurcate, there's like a, it's almost like two separate stories happening at the same time. And so mm-hmm. the tone of this, of what Douglas's relationship is with um, Adelaide is different. Patrick's is with Adelaide. And you want, and, and we knew that that would work. You just kind of, again, you just kind of, after doing this for a long time, you just kind of know, you know. So th- I, I, there's no, there's no other way to explain that. <laughs> and yeah. you see it when, the, and you see it as the audition is happening. So it's not like you're blind, blindly going into it, but you do see it. So I, I want to pivot a little bit with you. Um, and first of all, absolutely, congratulations on your nomination um, you. for the award. Um, but it just, you know, the thing when I heard about it was sort of like, gee, why, why isn't that? more standard in other award areas. Um, well, it is It is actually in, like you said, BAFTA, but BAFTA does give a casting award in film. And, um, oh, good. Yeah. Apologies so, to BAFTA. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> there goes BAFTA. my BAFTA invitation. But I would say it's, it's really the Academy that's the one that's sticking out. You know, because between um, the Emmys, the TV Academy honoring casting directors in several different categories, and BAFTA, and the Canadian Academy, and I'm, I don't know about the other countries yet, uh, France, France, I mean, I, don't, I, I haven't gotten into it, but, um, you know, really, the Academy is the one that's the holdout, and I would... Um, you know, the really, there was a documentary, Casting By, which is one of the best documentaries on what it means to be a casting director, where casting sort of was birthed and how it happened. And I encourage everybody to watch a documentary. I watch it when I'm feeling down about my job because it gives me so much inspiration. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, um, it's, uh, you know, it's really, and we had David Rubin was the president of the, of the Academy, you know, and we had, they had a, casting director in charge and i know that the internal machinations of the not being academy member but having many many friends who are academy members i know that it's very much at the forefront of uh campaign within the academy and i think there's a lot of um mis a lot of people still don't know what we do you know and um and we're so much at the beginning of the process that you know we're not we're not really we're not really there once they start filming you know we can be we can show up on set which is you know something to do but once once everybody's booked and and the and the process is done we've moved on to another project so right you know we just show up at the rap party sometimes <laughs> You know, yeah, if you, they remember you, to invite you us. build the foundation. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, let's well, invite the casting yeah. <laughs> they, um, they, they, they they just they just got you all your jobs. So, right. Yeah, it's like, uh, but, do you but, ever? Uh, do you, you ever, know, it, yeah. I, I imagine when you're watching things for quote unquote enjoyment, um, you must constantly be having your eagle eye out to people playing like sideline parts and everything else looking for new people is is that the case or are you 
able to yes, divorce I sit, yourself. I sit in my that. living room watching television with IMDb Pro open. Are you kidding? Like, I, you know, <laughs> like that's, that is exactly what is happening. And also, I rely on my colleagues. The thing I think that actors don't realize, maybe, or maybe they do, I don't know, is that we all talk to each other. All the casting, you know, I have I have a chat group where I have at least 15 casting directors that I'm constantly getting dings from, and. Uh, you know whether what whatever's happening you know like help i need help or have you know how much was this person or who is you know who do you guys think could do this you know we're constantly talking to each other and just this morning i was talking to my colleague in new york susan trotmaker and i and she was introducing me to an actress who's in a tv series that she just cast and she's like matt you have to you have to see her you have to nobody knows about her you know and to and so we're always doing that and I think that's the yeah. exciting part of the job. I get very excited about that stuff. You know, like I, I even, you know, I, I track certain schools, SUNY Purchase, Juilliard, um, uh, for actors. You know, because I've, because I know this, I know Pace University in New York. I know the, the instructors there. I know that. I know that the talent level is very high, you know, and I and I'm paying attention to who's coming out, and um, and then I'm just paying attention, and then I'm always reading, you know, I can't see everything, you know, that's the one hard part about living in LA is not being able to see every. I'm always jealous about with my New York colleagues because they go to see everything, um, so you just have to kind of keep up on what I keep up on what my colleagues are doing and what they're casting and right. and who they're putting into. Especially in television, like I, I said this today to somebody, like if I know on certain TV shows how hard it is to get a role, and even if you've if you've gotten a co-star role and it's just five lines or under, I know the process was hard to get that part. So I know there was intent in putting you specifically into that role. So I clock that and I'm like, oh, who is that person? Who are they with? Who's their rep? Where do these people? Where do the, where does this person come from? And and then that generates me making a call or asking for real or saying, can this actor have a coffee with me or whatever, you know? And sometimes it takes five, yeah. 10 years for that person to be, to get into a film that I'm casting, you know, cause I'm just, that's, that's how that works with me specifically because I cast film. So, and, and a certain kind of, you know, a certain kind of film and a certain budget level. And it's usually coming of age drama or horror or, occasionally a comedy but you know it's the films i work on are opportunities for new actors or create many opportunities for new actors so it's super important for me to be aware of what who's out there and and, and what they're doing um well it's, and, uh, it's, it's a credit you you actually have, have probably reinforced the fantasies of different actors who who plug into the lana turner being discovered at the you know on the bar stool of uh uh, Hollywood cafe or whatever. Um, but also it's just like what you do is really hard and, and really intense. So it's like, that's, that's super, super impressive. Um, what, what do you have coming up? What are your, what is your new project like? Um, well, the new projects that I'm working, well, it's been a slow year for in general for, for the independent films to get financed. So things that are the one film that I'm very excited about uh, working on is I'm working with a new uh, my colleague in New York, Susan Chopmaker, who I mentioned before. We're working on a film called The Way Our The Ways Our Bodies Burn, 
with a director named Daniel Egbert, who's out of um, AFI, and um, it's uh, it's you, it's on IMDb the, the you know the description, but it literally says after missing his wife's phone call goodbye on the morning of September 11th, a tormented music teacher struggles to find harmony with an increasingly angry and desperate sons. It's a beautiful script. Like the mm-hmm. script is, uh, you know, and that's what I'm excited about. It's um, I'm excited about starting on that. Um, I have a couple of other films that are in the fires and, and are ready to go. It usually all happens at the same time, and then everybody's like, oh, we're going to film in the spring and summer, and then and then I'm... But that film, that script is, ama- is just uh, a really beautiful script, and uh, I worked on the short film for him uh, uh, out of AFI, and, and it was shot very well, and he's a really wonderful director so i'm looking forward to that 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 sounds fantastic can't wait to hear about it don't forget about us when when you get there because yeah, don't forget we, about me we'd love to talk about it <laughs> oh I won't, I won't i won't definitely won't so we are out of time today and and you know thank you for thank you for being you and thank you for coming on and talking to us and sharing with us um i i do think what you do is absolutely fascinating and tough I can't imagine. I mean, it's like absolutely, you know, kind of respect for um, your craft Um, because it's both business and artistic, which are not always and probably ever speaking to each other very well. And having to bridge that is intense and incredible. Um, The film, again, is The Swearing Jar. Um, You can watch it on Amazon Prime, um, probably among other places. I think it's on Stars. As it well. is available free so, on Stars, and I think you have to rent it on Amazon yeah. Prime. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. And in out, Canada, it and it's beautiful. on some services. Yeah. Excellent. It's like it's beautiful. Um, just it's it's a great film. I don't want to tell you anything more about it than we already have <laughs> said because it 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 has some some little twists in it that you want to experience. Um, but Matthew, thank you so much again for being with us today. Thank you for your work um, and your art. It, it is really fantastic. I want to thank Brody Levesque for being finger on the pulse, um, you know, getting passion out of our governor here in California, among other things, and his work on the Los Angeles Blade magazine, which, again, is the magazine you need to check out every single day. New articles, top-level journalism, you can find that at losangelesblade.com. And uh, for those of us that rated LGBT radio, we will, begin, we will be back again next week with a really great show, um, I promise. And we will talk to you again then. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 